You're listening to Mission Lab. Mission Lab. From our living new man, Benjamin. Here's our parents, Sean and Camille Brace. Hey everybody, this is me, Sean Brace, and this is episode 78 of Mission Lab, the title of which is Missional Footprint. So glad you've tuned in today. It's um, been a few weeks. I know, you know, the last time I put up some episodes, I vowed that I would be back in the swing of things, but I've gotten off off track again, but I'm just going to not make any apologies anymore. Um, it is what it is. We will come back with new episodes whenever we can turn, churn them out. Um, uh, it seems as though, thankfully, we uh, still have maintained our listenership, even though we've been sporadic lately. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get these out for you as often as we can. And by we, I mean I, although I'm still trying to convince Camille to come back on the show at some point. We had a little uh, a little encouragement from loved ones and other family members and friends uh, recently while we were on vacation telling her to get back on the show. So we'll see if we can get her back on sometime. She's been really busy. But uh, anyway, yeah, we've had a good summer. I won't go into all the ins and outs, but uh, the highlight perhaps, and maybe not just perhaps, but the highlight was um, back a couple weeks ago. In Nova Scotia, I had the privilege of baptizing my eldest child, Camden. Um, Really cool. It was somewhat ironic because it had been almost exactly 30 years to the day that I was baptized in that same lake at our family vacation home uh, property in Nova Scotia. My dad had baptized my sister, my brother, and me there 30 years ago, 1989, when I was only eight years old. And 30 years later, I had the privilege of baptizing my son, Camden, uh, who is 10, in that same lake. So that was really cool. My dad also baptized my two nieces, Callie and Aubrey. Callie's 12, and Aubrey is also 10, like Camden, just actually like five days older than Camden. They live in Florida. Um, So as we probably have explained to you before, we spend a week or two every summer at our family compound in Nova Scotia, Cape Breton Island to be specific. So it was a good opportunity to baptize those three. And uh, yeah, it was really cool. Um, So that was a missional success, although it's still an ongoing journey of discipleship, of course. But that's the, the thing I want to highlight the most, just as far as introductory remarks go. So, yeah, so that's really cool. So today, changing lanes a little bit here, although not completely, but today I wanted to talk about something that is probably fairly fairly common for the theme that we talk about on this episode, on this podcast But one of my friends, Pastor Marcos Torres, um, who is a pastor in Perth, Australia, I had the privilege of meeting Marcos um, this last March when I was there in Perth. I had had 
interacted with him on uh, social media already, but then we met up when, when I was there. He's actually American, but he pastors there in Australia. Really cool dude. Um, if you uh, want to catch up with him, you can follow him on Twitter. His handle is Story Church Proj, P-R-O-J. So that's his Twitter handle. Uh, but he he's really just an awesome dude, um, really firing on all, I would say, uh, theological and ecclesiological and missiological cylinders. Um, just a lot of of uh, resonance with our understanding of the gospel and mission and stuff. But um, he had this tweet a few weeks ago. Actually, this was back on June 18 of this year, which I thought was a really good articulation of, of one of the main themes in our missional efforts. And it's just a good reminder from him. And uh, it's encouraging to me because I need to be reminded of these things by others frequently. But um, this is what he tweeted out on June 18, 2019, for those who might be listening to this like in the year 2040 or something. Um, This is how he put it. He said, my suggestion is that we measure success by how many lives are impacted through our presence rather than how many people get dunked at the end of the year. So let me repeat that. My suggestion is that we measure success by how many lives are impacted through our presence rather than how many people get dunked at the end of the year. So, and I would also probably add to that, we rather than not only baptisms, but how many people are attending on a weekend, specifically in our context, Sabbath morning, or how much money is coming into our coffers, of course, those are the three big, um, those are the three big metrics of what people, some have called attractional church. We have done so in the past is kind of like attendance, baptisms, cash. Those, the ABCs of kind of attractional church, attendance, baptism, cash. And this is not to say that those things don't have their place or they're, they're not, a part of it, but um, what we're really called, and, and I would call this as the title of this episode, Betrays, I would call this our missional footprint. As you are looking at your church and as you're looking at your community of disciples, the most important, the most important metric, I would say, is how big is your missional footprint? How many people in your city, how many people in your town are being impacted by the disciples in your church community? And when I mean impacted, I mean, that's a, I, I guess, probably a broad term, but, and we've discussed this in the past, but I would, I would probably uh, kind of break it down into two different categories. One is the proactive impact. The other is the reactive impact. And this is not an original thought to me, but kind of the proactive impact is how many people who are outside of your church community and walls, how many people are being intentionally 
and deliberately invested in in and discipled. And of course, you know, again, I'm trying to to kind of use these terms broadly, but um, discipled means that there are followers of Jesus who are actively and over a prolonged period of time are being poured into uh, and blessed and served in an intentional way. So, and I can give examples of that, um, you know, as I get around to it here later on in the episode. So that, that's what I would call the proactive, um, impact that, you know, we are primarily called to do. And we've, again, we've talked about this in the past, uh, previous episodes, like introduced, um, doing life with people kind of, we never explicitly put it in these terms, but persons of peace. Um, you know, people are wanting to be loved over a long period of time. It's not like a, a hit and run, um, one-off type of thing where we, you know, that, that, that's what I would call the reactive part, which I'll get to in a second. But, um, yeah, how many, how many people are we proactively impacting and seeking to invest in? Um, because it's, if people are looking for love, love is something that has to be demonstrated over a long period of time. Um, it has to be not conditional. And I can share a story with you, actually, speaking of proactive of somebody that I've been recently discipling. Um, over the summer, we've you know not spent as much time, intentional time, uh, in discipleship. But uh, this individual was texting me, sharing with me some of the challenges, relational challenges that they were experiencing. And I didn't respond to the text right away. It took me like three or four days. And after I finally did, the person was saying, oh my goodness, I was worried that you were kind of pulling away from me because I have so much dysfunction in my life. And, you know, that kind of illustrates just how insecure people are in relationships and how we can get worried that other people's love is conditional. And so if it's just like a, a episodic, episodic, I'm not sure which is the proper way, maybe both to pronounce that. Um, but if it's just kind of like occasional, then people can't be secure enough in our love for an interest in them. So that's why it needs to be a long period of committed discipleship and investment. And because uh, people, it takes a while for people to be convinced that they are valuable and loved and worthy of investment. So that's what I would call proactive impact. And then there would be what I would call reactive impact. And that would be the kind of like spontaneous, um, everyday uh, impact where we're just seeking to be a blessing to the people, whoever they are, that come across our path. And it may just be a one-off thing, or it may be even people that we do know that we can't go as deep with because we just don't have the time, resources, or availability. There's only so many people that we can have a proactive, ongoing, effective discipleship relationship with. So like, we can't do that with everyone. Um, and so, that yeah, they're just... You know, as the Holy Spirit impresses us, we f determine, 
you know, those people that God has placed in our lives to chiefly be deliberately and intentionally investing in. And then the others, we just kind of have to leave in God's hands and hopefully trust that, um, that those people are being nurtured in, in ways that God is already doing. This is not to say, don't misunderstand me. If somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, I want to be discipled by you, or I need, I need your presence in my life. I'm going to say, well, sorry, you know, can't do it. But cause I mean, that's pretty rare anyway, but, um, these are people that have not had any explicit indication that they need you in their life. Um, so, but we're still seeking to bless them and serve them. And I can give you a very concrete example of this, but it, it just kind of uh, reinforced this idea of impact that uh, Marcus is speaking of. Um, probably about, I don't know, f- three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was outside and um, I was playing with my kids and one of my neighbors drove by and she slowed down along the road because I was on the road with my kids and she just slowed down and said, Hey, how you doing? You know, I haven't seen you in a while. And this is an individual that has lived here ever since we have, uh, lived here. I think lived here for a couple decades, at least two or three decades. And, um, we, you know, I catch up with her every once in a while. We, when Camille and I, go for our run. We run by her house and sometimes she's outside and we chat with her and, um, she slowed down and said, Hey, you know, haven't seen you in a while. So we, we started chatting for a little bit and pretty soon the conversation turned into a 30 minute conversation. Literally her car is just idling there on the road. And she's just kind of like opening up to me about all of the stuff going on in her family and she was sharing some of the difficulties she was having with her children who are all grown and uh, two out of the three of them are out of the house now. And sharing with me, you know, she she um, she was sharing with me how uh, she was having some problems religiously. She's actually and I want to I don't want to share too much, but she's actually Catholic and she's like really struggled with some of the, I would say, Catholic guilt, you know, it's kind of a thing that people know about, um, shame-based Catholic experience, and she was pushing back against that and just kind of venting to me about that, and um, at one point, I kind of said to her, I was like, you know, I don't think you're really a Catholic, and she kind of chuckled about that because she was, you know, stressing about confessional and Mary and all this stuff. And so I kind of, we, we kind of chuckled about that. I just said, I don't think you're really Catholic. And, um, but anyway, so, so she was just sharing with me and she also shared with me that she's lived in Bangor for over 30 years. And she said, you know what, Sean, she said, I don't, I don't have, I can't name one person that I would say I, am close with out of, uh, you know, living over 30 years in Bangor. I don't really have one person I would consider to be a really good friend that I could open up to. And of course she's opening up to me here. Um, but, uh, I just thought, man, what a tragedy. Here's somebody who feels kind of alone and she, she's a very energetic person. And, um, anyway, so like I, you know, I've invited her at times to some of our different, um, 
church functions and I've invited her to come to our gathering at some point and she's very open and interested, but just never, it's never materialized and that's fine. Like, Hey, as I, as I reflected on that, I thought of Marcus's tweet and that is she may not be coming to my church. She may not ever become a Seventh-day Adventist, but for that 30 minutes, I was impacting her. I was blessing her. I was providing a, an ear for her to vent and to share and to just have, you know, she was able to have somebody feel sympathy for her, her challenges in life. And so like that type of impact doesn't show up on the stat sheet, so to speak. I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, it, it, it's not going to show up in my baptismal report at the end of the year or when I can, not that I fill out a report, but, um, it's, it's like, it, it feels like it can't be measured. And yet those moments are sacred and holy and they're what we are called to do primarily is to be in people's lives, to impact them, to be available when they need somebody to be available and to live out God's kingdom in front of their eyes. And again, it was not, I'm not trying to like over dramatize the significance of that moment, but um, obviously I'm a safe person to my neighbor. Um, I'm sure it has something to do with the fact she knows obviously I'm a pastor uh, which in some people's minds, uh, although increasingly fewer and fewer people, but in some people's minds, um, that still has some significance. And, and um, so, yeah, so that's just, that's just one example. I would, I would maybe refer to other people as well, who I'd say more on a proactive level. Um, I have quite a few people who, for whom, um, I'm like, they consider me their pastor, even though they're not coming to church every week, quote unquote, coming to church, coming to our gathering every week, even though they're not coming to, um, our missional community gatherings, I am still the person they call when they need some encouragement, when they need some prayer, when they need some perspective and wisdom and, and I, I realize one of the the dangers of citing these as an example is that you, as you're listening, may not be a pastor per se, but that's part of what I'm wanting us to all realize and appreciate is that we are all called to be ministers. And maybe I would put it in this term. I actually, I think I heard Tim Keller once articulate it in this way, the pastor from um, Christ, what is it, Redeemer? Presbyterian Church in New York City, um, really, really influential pastor here in the United States. Um, but he kind of put it in these terms, like we are kind of one of the ways in which we can imagine our role is to be kind of like the, the city's chaplains. Like if you could just imagine yourself and you could say to yourself, you know, I am going to serve as the chaplain of my neighborhood. 
I'm going to serve as the chaplain of my workplace. And by chaplain, that kind of has a little different connotation than a pastor. Um, the chaplain, like if you're a hospital chaplain, you are there as a presence to provide comfort, encouragement, prayer for people who are in a tough spot. And so I, I want to, you know, I, I don't want to imply that our role as disciples is to be just completely passive. And if, hey, if somebody wants to talk, then, you know, that's all we do is listen. We are called to live out and to proclaim the gospel in very intentional ways as well. So don't misunderstand the analogy. But at the very least, if every disciple of Jesus considered themselves and 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 framed their calling in that type of light or that type of thinking that, you know, God has placed you where you are, again, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your classroom, to serve, to consider yourself the chaplain of that little context, then our missional footprint would grow and that would be a significant way that we can measure our um, calling as uh, as disciples of Jesus. So that's what I want to just encourage you to, to try to measure is how many people, how many disciples, first of all, how many disciples do we have? And by that, I mean, how many of our people are intentionally seeking to become more and more like Jesus within our church community, within our church family? How many of them are intentionally seeking to make other disciples? And how many of those people are impacting the community at large proactively and reactively, thinking about all of life as an opportunity to live and proclaim the gospel? So I think that's that's got to be the primary metric by which um, we determine how quote-unquote successful we are as a church is what is our missional footprint today maybe you know we are today maybe we have three members in our church who are consciously and deliberately living out the gospel and proclaiming it tomorrow maybe we have five and the next day hopefully we have ten and maybe the size of our footprint is that maybe they are, those five are daily impacting 200 people. And then, um, you know, six months from now, our disciples are impacting 500 people. And again, that doesn't mean that they're all going to become followers of Jesus, but just that we are expanding our footprint to consciously impact and live out the gospel and to proclaim it um, to a wider and wider audience. And I hate to use the term audience, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, So like that's, I think, just what I want to try to reinforce in your mind as you think about our calling as disciples of Jesus. So that's what I want to say today. Uh, Very simple thought. It wasn't too drawn out. It's probably repetition of what we've talked about before but at the same time we've always also been at this for two years and sometimes we need to repeat ourselves 
Um, so that's what I want to say. Before I leave, I just want to make a, uh, a book recommendation. I, uh, I realize that I've made some in the past, but lately I've been reading more along broader subjects. Um, I haven't been reading as much on missional theory or practice lately. I'm actually looking for some really, really good missional books to kind of inspire me afresh. But um, I do have one that I think probably would be along those lines, broadly speaking, that uh, I will maybe, well, I'll tackle soon. It's called A Bigger Table, and I can't remember the name of the author at this moment. I haven't started reading it, but I'm looking forward to. And uh, it was recommended to me by a friend, Michael Nixon. But the one I'm reading right now that has really captured my my theological imagination, and uh, I, I'm reading, I read like 20 books at a time, but this one is, 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 is really uh, calling my attention the most right now, is called The Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright. Um, I don't know if I've ever mentioned N.T. Wright before, but uh, I love N.T. Wright. I've been reading him now for about, I don't know, 12 years. I went and heard him speak. Um, I know a lot of other Seventh-day Adventist pastors appreciate him. Um, and I know he's really popular today. But this book is really, really, really good. It's, it's very theologically dense, so it's not um, for the faint of heart. Um, but it just really does a great job of articulating the significance of Jesus' death, the atonement, what it's all about. And I could, I'm sure, break it down, but this is not a theological podcast. But I, I do find that it, and a lot of actually missional um, theorists and practitioners have, um, whether directly or indirectly, um, been impacted by uh, Dr. Wright's Tom, as he is, uh, as is, as he's known by, um, they're really impacted by his his theological paradigm. And that's because I find that there's a good integration of his understanding of the atonement and theology with, um, yeah, just like our, what he would call our vocation as, as followers of Jesus. And so like there's a really strong overlap between his theological paradigm and his understanding of the atonement of salvation and what we are called to do as disciples of Jesus. And his, you know, his, he would say his, our primary vocation is to be image bearers, which means we are to be human, genuinely human in the way that God created us to be, which is to be reflectors of human praise to God and reflectors of God's wisdom and sovereignty to the world. And so the primary problem that God is trying to deal with in the salvation story is not how to get us into heaven, but how he can restore his image in us such that we are priests to this world and we reflect his image to the world. So that's kind of the synopsis of it. It's a very, very quick and brief summary. And again, it's really theologically dense, but I would recommend that book. 
uh, it would it, it's it, it would probably take some significant chewing for a lot of people, um, but especially if you're more theologically inclined, which I hope we all are, um, it might be of interest to you. And uh, even if you're not, you should be. So check out the book, the day the revolutionary, the day the revolution began. I'm actually kind of starting a new teaching preaching series on the um, not because of the book. I actually started reading the book because of the series, not vice versa. Um, but just kind of, I started a new series called Viral, Unleashing the Revolution, and just talking about what God is trying to do in and through the church. And he's going to do it here in these last days. Revelation 18.1, the earth is illuminated with God's glory. I believe that God is bringing people to this moment where he will, um, he will unleash this revolution that was started way back at the cross and uh, is going to come into full crescendo here in these last days. So anyway, the day the revolutionary, the day the revolution began, I don't know why I keep wanting to say revolutionary, but the day the revolution began by N.T. Wright. Check it out. And yeah, so that's going to be it for today. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, think about the impact that you are having in your community more than how many people are showing up on Sabbath morning or Sunday morning for those who might be uh, of that persuasion. Um, And just think about your missional footprint. So thanks for listening, guys. We will catch up with you again soon. Thanks for tuning into Mission Lab. Thank you for listening to Mission Lab. Our theme song is Portland Hike by Tiny Music. Additional editing by Chris Ergang. Follow us on Twitter at MLabPodcast. Podcast.